Hello there and welcome to the Steve Perriman podcast and thanks for giving me your time yet again. Um, one apology to make, uh, Mike, a good friend, um, pointed out um, a mistake in last week's podcast when I spoke about the famous uh, League Cup defeat to Burnley, 4-1 at home, and um, I wrongly said that they were a third division team at the time. I did explain that they were in a very bad run of form and um, therefore changed the manager. Uh, but Mike assures me that uh, they eventually went down from Division 2 at the end of the season to Division 3. So that's probably where I, where I made the mistake. But they were in a, an awful run to then come out of it by beating us. So uh, thank you, Mike, for that. So I'm here um, near the seaside, uh, thinking that most, if not all of you, are feeling a bit more comfortable with the results, obviously, at this time. With the progress in Europe and some consistency uh, also in the league results, I think it's unbeaten in 10 games in, in all competitions. It, even being aware that uh, within that, the positivity of it all, we, we know and don't need reminding of the wasted points so far, especially from uh, winning positions that turned out not to be such winning positions. This shows that within the optimism uh, improvement can be made and should be expected from what we've seen so far. Uh, the squad is being well used. Um, although I've said before that I'm not a fan of the rotation system in normal circumstances, but, but these are not normal circumstances as per the amount of games that are coming up. Um, so the squad is, yeah, being well used uh, with the new signings settling in uh, quickly enough to prove their worth almost straight away, which allows even the new manager's doubters, and I'll own up to say that I was one. Um, no, that's, that's wrong. Not, not, not so much a doubter, but, but needed convincing about his his purpose of, of joining Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, so with all this belief uh, in this season can be one where we, we, we can start to dream again. Um, yeah, belief. Uh, for any of you that have been watching the Ted Lasso series, let's believe Ted Lasso style. When playing in this season's podcasts, I wanted us to focus uh, on, on the next opponent, you know, Brighton at this point. But it's impossible to ignore what's happening um, with our team. I've said before about the judgment needed on whether players score or create goals or defend the goals against. 
And now Harry Kane fits the bill in all of these sections of his uh, personal game. I couldn't watch the Burnley match, uh, but listened on my car journey uh, on the radio. Uh, always interesting to hear commentary and, and, and their thoughts. And obviously Harry did it again, both ends, uh, clearing from our goal line one time and, and providing the, 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 the last pass headed for Son to score. Um, just just a, a quick point on that. I, I believe, and you've all got your own opinions out there, that, that you, when, you, when you're taking a corner, I think there's three, three obvious places to concentrate on. One is one of our players, our attacking players, should get across the first defender because we've all seen how many how many corners get cleared by that first defender. And there's a statistic somewhere that says it's sort of between 30 and 40%. So if you put one man there to arrive on him, to make sure he doesn't clear the ball, even if you don't touch it yourself and the ball goes past you to, to then surely the percentages must go higher. The other one is exactly the place where Son scored. And it's to run the far post. It, you know, some coaches call it the back door. Um, and it's a position that John Terry used to take up. And John Terry used to score sort of five, six, seven, eight goals a season just by running the far post and expecting the ball to come. And of course, it doesn't come every time. But if you expect it to come every time, you're going to get on the score sheet more than you would have done by just picking out any other position. Uh, the, the third position, I think, is someone not to foul the keeper, but to be in and around him uh, to make life more difficult for him. That allows a lot of other players to go and do their stuff and, and block in and all that, that happens these days. But there is three major positions in taking, um, taking up at... Uh, attacking corner kicks. So your team has a great chance uh, to be successful when you have two such dynamic, attack-minded, on-form strikers who not only score their share of, of ch their chances created, but help create for each other as well. So a fantastic combination in all senses. Uh, and then all of a sudden, by being goals up because of the, the strike force, uh, some defensive improvement rears its head in, in the name of clean sheets. And, and hope starts to turn into something more realistic, but, but still needs to be realized. And that's where we're all thinking about the next game, next games, to see if this optimism can be, can be played out. So I did speak about Harry before. I'm going to speak about Son now. Now, I don't know anything about him other than what I see on the, on the television. And of course, I'm, I'm impressed. But what I do know is that, that my second job in Japan, I took over a, a team 
and a group of players, and they had three South Korean internationals in the squad. One was the most famous footballer, like the Bobby Charlton of England, Hom Yong-bo, his name was, who had the most caps for his country, probably passed his best, but you could tell his class um, as, a, as, a, as a world-class sweeper. The second one played in four World Cup campaigns and was a top goal scorer. Uh, but yet again, near the end of his career, which I suppose is why they end up in, in, in Japan. And the third one was not this case. He was the, the youngest of the three and a top quality midfielder who should have come to England and it looked like Southampton would make that happen, uh, but it didn't. So before I walked into that club, I'd never met anyone from South Korea before, let alone a footballer. I've got to tell you, they were fantastic. Uh, attitudes, both in training and games, very professional. And their respectful nature shone from their faces every day. They had humor, they could have a laugh, but it wasn't wasted uh, on silliness, which is a, a, a criticism I sometimes have of, of British players. Immaculate with their clothes, their timekeeping, and in fact, I couldn't find a fault in, in one aspect of their, of their being. So I have to believe that these three were so impressive as people that Son is cut from the same cloth. Uh, so, so it's so much more than just being a very good player. He's got the, the whole package around him. If any of these three that I had in Japan missed a training session, they would come up to my office and apologize for missing the session. So very serious football players, very correct, and most of all genuine. So of course, with ability to match, no good having all those other things with, with not the ability. and. Um, top class ability. So you, you have to be careful when you generalize about a, a nation or, or the people from a certain country. And, but from my experience, I'd, I'd bet my house on Son's honesty and purposeful nature to keep us all satisfied and yet still has more to give uh, to the Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur cause. And, and I can't believe that, that arrogance would set in to this type of mentality. It just, it, it just doesn't, doesn't seem possible. So Howard, um, not that many games versus Brighton in our past to recollect, um, but I know that you've come up with something. So welcome. Uh, thanks for being involved again. And uh, Give us what you got, Howard. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, it's my, my pleasure. Um, as you say, there aren't too many games against Brighton that really merit his attention. And also, there have been very few transfers between the two clubs. Although I recall Spurs selling Bobby Smith to Brighton very suddenly. I believe it was brought on by his excessive gambling. Ah. Uh -huh. 
the dreaded gambling. We sold him for £5,000, which even at that time was a tiny amount of money for a top England star. Sure, sure. One other player who joined us from Brighton was Gary Stevens, who played for the for Brighton at under-18 level. He played on one Saturday morning, and in the afternoon they went to watch the first team who were playing Spurs. And he was very close by where an injury happened, which was Mark Lawrenson, he of the miserable outlook of match, match of the day. <laughs> Gary, Gary, 17-year-old Gary, the first time, the first time he'd ever been near the first team, was plunged into the first team against Ipswich the following week. Wow. Sorry, against Spurs the following week. And Spurs won 2-1. Gary, of course, went on to come and join us a few years later. Good player, Gary. Good player, good person. And what, what's he doing now, Howard? So now he has a very interesting life. He lives in Thailand and he commentates and is a pundit for major TV companies out there. Ah, fantastic. He may be working from Thailand, he may be working from Malaysia, wherever it is that uh, he's, he's wanted to travel. Amazing. So that, that's someone for us to visit when we go out there on a absolutely on our next uh, world book tour, if it's ever on. Absolutely. Um, Gary was a, played for England a few times, and one of the game, one of the games he was a sub, along with the other Gary Stevens, the same name, and Trevor Stevens, who was around at that area. These Were they both of Everton? He was Everton, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good player. Absolutely. These names were too much for manager Bobby Robson. In one game, Robson called for Gary to warm up. Gary joked him on the touchline. After a while, there was no call, so Gary jogged past the dugout, waving as he went. Still no call. Then Robson summoned him, looked at him more closely and said, you're not Trevor Stephen. <laughs> I could give you a good story about that similar, similar event, Howard, and I will do one day. So a couple of noteworthy games was in 1978, the build-up to the final game of our promotion year. We were beaten 3-1 at Brighton, putting immense pressure on us for the final game where we needed a draw at Saints or for Brighton to lose. They won, but we drew, which was enough to get us up. A few years later, in 1983, we lost to them 2-1 over Easter, and Tony Galvin was sent off. Keith was furious, but somehow we then beat some 5 0 two days later, with one of the truly great goals by Mark Falco. Steve was actually banned for the Brighton game, but Keith left you out of that following Arsenal game as well. Keith, um, so I was suspended for Brighton. Yep. And we lost 2-1. We were winning 1-0. Uh, Brighton were down to 10 men. Yep. I think Ramsey kicked Mark Falco and got sent off. We were winning 1-0 from um, a Graham Roberts goal. Graham Roberts was standing in for me as captain, not, not in terms of being my position, but standing as a captain, took the armband. And Tony Galvin got sent off um, in Keith words, stupidly. You know, if, you, if you're one nil up and you've got 11 against 10, the last thing you want to do is even it up to 10-10. So Keith went absolutely berserk and I spoke to Tony Galvin about it today and um, because the newspaper report said that Keith was going to heavily fine him. This didn't quite ring true of, of what 
I saw of Keith and Bill Nicholson, for instance, what they were same in these respects. They had discipline without having to find you, but having checked it with Tony, um, Keith was so upset at this defeat, especially with the Tony's red card, which, no, no, he got two yellow cards, sorry. And um, so, Tony, did you get fined or not? He said, Steve, I got fined half a week's money. And trust me, it hurt. <laughs> so what Keith did was, Tony said, he gets shown off the field. He has, you have to go to the dressing room. I'm sat there all on my own. I'm, I'm aware that I've upset the manager. Um, I'm hearing the loudest roar ever. So it must have been a home goal. Now it's 1-1. I'm thinking I'm going to get it in the neck. Then there's another loud roar. 2-1 to Brighton. And as the final whistle blew, Keith ran down the tunnel to get to the dressing room to me. This is Tony speaking before anyone else could. And he had about 30 seconds of me on my own and gave me what for about how stupid I'd been, et cetera, et cetera. So I had never heard of Keith finding people before. And um, so I needed to check it out before we, we, we spoke today. So uh, is that yours out? Are you done? I think so. Yeah, Alan Mullery was manager of that, uh, yeah. of the team that beat us, not on the Tony Galvin night, but on the, on the, um, when we were both going for a promotion. Yeah. Alan Mullery got two promotions for them over his course of, you know, management at, at, at Brighton. And, and they have a lot of respect for him. I know that he's, a, he's an ambassador down at Brighton now for, for home games. And the other one was Chrissy Hewton, who, who in later years, you know, our favourite Spurs son, did a wonderful job as manager there. And anyone with a hint of Spurs blood uh, were angry, well, both angry and upset at his departure. But what I suppose it means is that, that um, you know, your, your time eventually runs out and the man who's paying the money, be it the chairman, owner, if they happen to be the same, you know, they're entitled to make a change as they see it because it is their money that you are, you're managing for them. So, um, Shame for Chrissy, but we all know he's got a, a, another job and we wish him well in that. So my story is about uh, season 80-81. Although Brighton didn't get promoted with us, 77-78, they eventually did get promoted. And therefore we're playing them in a midweek night game. And... Nothing so special about this game until a Brighton player, and I can't for the life of me name him, decided to leave his mark on Ozzy Ardiles, like lots of others had done before and after this event. But this tackle was particularly nasty, and I mean nasty. What followed in my eyes was done in pure anger. So 
challenge, nasty. The ball doesn't travel that far from where the challenge was done. That upset Aussie, our Argentinian genius. And please bear in mind that coming from that country and environment, football environment, he wasn't too surprised at getting roughed up. It, it was part of the game. But I, I'm stressing the word nasty. His anger resulted in him trying to smash the ball at this opponent. As if, as if he was just trying to take a quick free kick. Now, I know that Ozzy's normal game was not to kick the ball too far away from itself. There was no 50, 60, 70 yard crossfield passes because you know the reason why? Because Ozzy knew that the further he kicked the ball, the longer it took for him to get his next touch of the ball. So this was not typically Ozzy, but he smashed this ball. The lad must have got out of the way. And about two seconds later, it's nestling in their net because it went <laughs> over everyone into the top corner and beat the goalkeeper by a mile. So I think Aussie was as surprised as anyone that it scored. And I'm only judging it from my position, which is obviously as a defender behind Aussie. And there is no way that from 35, 40 yards that he should have attempted a shot at goal. And it was done out of anger. So fantastic goal on the face of it, albeit by some type of mistake. Garth Crooks scored the second goal and we won uh, an expected victory 2-0 on the night. So um, if you don't mind, uh, I give you an update on my housing situation. Uh, we sold our house some two or three months ago. So homeless at the moment, but We've exchanged contracts and complete this Monday after 10 weeks in a hotel in Exmouth. We went out today, when we came back, they've started putting up the Christmas decorations. So my wife has been texting all her friends and, uh, and family to say, I think it's time for us to go. <laughs> and, and I would agree with her after 10 weeks. Uh, so we're moving to Wiltshire and I need to be halfway back to London, uh, closer to our family. Um, now I'm, I'm entered my sort of retirement years stage. Uh, I saw also today that uh, it's been the great Glenn Hoddle's birthday this week. Uh, so congratulations to him and Eric Thorsfett is today, and I also read that he was the first ever Norwegian to play in the Premier League. I'm sure if that's not correct, Mike will tell me. Please, Mike. I remember Eric coming in on a trial to Chesant uh, when we were all much younger. I, I, for instance, was still playing. But we weren't allowed to sign him uh, because of international transfer regulations at the time. 
so uh, what a sign in that would have been, you know, three or four or five, six, seven, eight years before it eventually happened. And good, good goalkeeper was, was Eric and good man as well. So to leave you, um, of course, I'm going to wish us well against Brighton at the weekend. Uh, keep the good run going. Uh, but I just want to tell you a personal story. Um, I have an eight-year-old granddaughter called Elena. And she's obviously started back to school, as most children have. And my son, Glenn, uh, finished work early and therefore was able to pick her up. And when she came out of school, maybe because she saw her dad waiting there, which was a bit of a surprise, she was, she was beaming. Um, eventually, she was beaming this much that Glenn had to say to her, so what are you so happy about? She said, well, I was asked by our teacher in class today, just before I come out, in a, in a computer lesson to Google my granddad. And so I showed all the class how to Google your name. And therefore they all read about your career and actually saw you score a goal, granddad. And, um, and it proved that, you know, you are my granddad. So I don't think I've ever been so proud in my life. And I look back at it and I think maybe as a, as a player, I wasn't as, as proud of me as I probably should have done. It wasn't till after I finished playing that I thought, you know what, you, you, weren't, you weren't a bad player, Steve. So when you hear something like this, that you know the message is spread that long ago with the aid of Google and, and these films that, that they show that um, that your, your sort of memory goes on and on and, and uh, something I'm really proud of. So thank you all for listening. Um, I got a little bit emotional there. Just a little one here that comes out of what you're talking about. Um, Eric Torsford was a great keeper, as we know, and a lot of Spurs fans would have Viking hats, helmets, that they what wore to games. Wow. And we were we were in the chippy we used to go to before games. Yeah. At one point. And there were a group of, of young men standing around and they looked filthy, they looked greasy hair, looked horrible. I said, look at them. And somebody in our crowd said, they're Paul Walsh fans. <laughs> ah, okay. As against the Eric people wearing the helmets. Very good. Well done, Howard. Thank you all for listening. Um, hope to speak to you next week. Hope we're still unbeaten or perhaps three more points and through the next uh, European game. So um, keep well and uh, speak to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Tom. Thanks.